This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. There are certain holiday traditions that just hit differently. From the old school Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade to the new school release of the Starbucks Holiday Cups, these time-honored rituals have become synonymous with holiday seasons. But what happens when one of those customary activities is forced to undergo a swift change? That happened when UNICEF's annual Halloween boxes went from the hands of kids to the laptops of corporations. One of the byproducts of being forced into a virtual trick-or-treat experience is we were able to actually personalize it for some of our corporate partners. So they could brand it. They could put their names on it. They could raise money for the thing that they were most passionate about. I mean, it really gave us a chance to extend beyond just the youth audience into a bit of an older audience, some of our major donors, corporate partners, global cause partners. So it did also give us an opportunity to get a glimpse into what this could be if it was expanded beyond just schools. That's the voice of Shelley Diamond, the CMO of UNICEF USA. And for decades, trick-or-treating was one of the main ways that the nonprofit connected with individuals. Shelley joined Marketing Trends to discuss how UNICEF spun its popular trick-or-treating event into something new and memorable for both adults and children. Plus, she explains the lens through which her team views digital advertising and why UNICEF's mission is rooted in the brand. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends, and today we are joined by special guest, Shelly. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Excited to chat with you today. Uh, So excited to hear about all the cool things that you're doing at UNICEF and your background. So let's get into it. How'd you get started in marketing? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about the wonderful organization I have the privilege of uh, leading marketing efforts for. So I started in advertising. I mean, I wanted to make it sound like it's been a lifelong desire of mine when when I began, but much like many folks at, right out of college, it was really more the advertising side of marketing that was appealing. And I worked at two iconic brands, both. Um, one has gone entirely and the other has merged. Uh, Ted Bates, which was very famous for its unique selling proposition or the USP, and Young and Rubicam, famous for so many uh, campaigns. And now it's VML, YNR. So the world that I joined back then and the world of today are are quite different. But honestly, it just seemed like a really cool job. Um, And it turned out to be that, but also an extremely, um, really tough job. I picked it because I always thought of myself as creative and really good to working in a team. But I was a cultural, you know, buff. I loved understanding where people's heads were at, um, sort of the human side of communication I even studied that, if you can believe that's something to study when I was in school. So it really felt like the right place for me to be. Yeah. And so flash forward to today, for those who don't know, tell, tell us a little bit about like the scope of your work uh, at, at UNICEF and what's, what's the scale of, of what you're doing? So, I mean, when I joined UNICEF, uh, my knowledge was rather limited to my childhood experience of trick-or-treating with a little orange box. Uh, it was an iconic part of my childhood. And and honestly, even today, probably more people can tell you about that than what UNICEF does, which is the absolute most um, delicious objective and goal for a a chief marketing officer for a brand. Because in fact, as I learned more about UNICEF, UNICEF is not a charity. UNICEF is a human rights organization for children, really enabling them to, to have rights and have equity Uh, and have a childhood. And boy, talk about a goal that you can really connect to emotionally, giving voice to children around the world so that they in turn can change the world. And in fact, when you look at the scale of what UNICEF has done, we've helped save the lives of more children than any other humanitarian organization. And we are really proud of that, including 
immunizing almost half the world's children. And given what's happening now with vaccines and immunization, it's a role that we're going to play in, in the distribution of the COVID vaccine. So a daunting task. We're fast. We can provide relief anywhere in 72 hours. And when I came in, I said, how do we tell this story? And so we've coined a phrase that we're badass do-gooders, men and women, 13,000 strong, on the ground, making things happen, relentless and tenacious. So again, uh, it made me feel that never has a role in my professional life been more meaningful than this role. Even though I've had a passion for purpose and changing the world, really since I you know, was one of those marchers in the 70s. So it's sort of brings me full circle. Indeed. I mean, what it what an incredible responsibility um to do that and to to have that. I mean, and it really shows the power of of marketing. So what what does the marketing org look like? What do you focus on day to day? Yeah, so um my focus is really on on several things. Our organization supports the entirety of UNICEF USA. It's the um US Fund for UNICEF, so we're a 501c3 we raise money, we do advocacy work, we fund the major programs, we have actions that help ensure that children's rights are respected here in the US and around the world. And so the job of the marketing folks is to A, build a brand that people really truly understand, a brand that's both relevant, differentiated, and clearly understood. And that is no small task. We also have to have a different mindset. The world has changed so dramatically. The role of our corporate partners, like nonprofits cannot change the world on their own. They have to see themselves as a business. They have to be willing to invest. They have to get the best and the brightest. And they have to go to a market with a a, a different mindset. And so I was really proud to work with the organization to begin that journey. We had definitely had a supportive board and executive leadership team that is allowing us to put more emphasis on having a strong brand voice. It's one of our strategic pillars um, and to drive relevance and, and differentiation. And it's hard in the nonprofit world to talk about investment in brand, investment in positioning, because it gives you ultimately a much, much greater audience in which to engage which will drive significantly more revenue and advocacy actions and have greater impact on the lives of more children. But that takes place over time. And we have a huge responsibility to steward every dollar we get in the service of saving lives, not only in the immediate now, but also what we see certainly after the pandemic and what will be needed. It's just daunting what will be needed in in the next five years. Yeah, I'm curious, like, you know, you mentioned um, some of the stakeholders that you're talking about with companies, you mentioned, uh, you know, like having donors, like, what are the what are the personas that you're focusing on as, as CMO of how you can reach those folks and, and have, uh, you know, get that get that help and impact that that you all need? Yeah, so um, what we have as our our remit is we have to speak to, obviously, we have to drive meaningful engagement across a very broad audience. But within that audience, there are policymakers in Washington. There are advocacy associates in our regional offices. There are major donors. There are foundations. There are corporate partners. There are um, global cause partners. And then, of course, importantly, there are small donors. So the content that we create, the engagement metrics that we look at, the outreach, the marketing metrics all involved each of those individual constituents. And it all starts with sort of the broad view of how we can give people enough information so that they will take an action. And that action can be just engaging with content, attending a speaker series going to it, well, back in the day, going to a, a gala. Now we have virtual galas. Joining one of our, our advocacy organizations, um, college clubs, high school clubs. So there really is just sort of this massive need to broaden 
our group of of supporters. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you mentioned some of the ways that you do that with content and events. One of the things that is is ever popular is uh, is the trick or treating. Uh, obviously, this year it was different. Can you share a little bit about the Halloween uh, that that you all do? Um, so, of course, this year trick or treat looked like no other year that preceded it. We did some research, and actually, we didn't need the research to inform the pivot. But um, about um, maybe twenty percent of of parents were going to be willing to go door to door, take a little orange box, and have a traditional trick or treat um, experience. I mean, number one, we vowed that we were going to be safe in providing an experience for children, but we also wanted these children to have a fun experience that was also safe. We just didn't want the pandemic to steal what really has come to be known as a rite of of passage. So what we did is we created a virtual trick-or-treat box, and it became an entire digital uh, experience for youth. So what we did with the campaign is we allowed children to choose how they wanted to enable some of our programs. So for example, we um, created an online fundraising platform where kids raised coins and then they could choose where their coins went, whether it went for a protective mask or it went for a vaccine or it went for sanitation or, or um, water purification tablets. And that really gave the, um, the youth an opportunity to use their voice and feel that they were truly engaging with this program. And we, we, did, a, we did a pretty, um, pretty good job. I would say that um, there was a fair amount of engagement, but there's nothing that's going to take the place of an in-person experience. Honestly, the, um, I think what we realized is that part of the fun of trick-or-treat, you know, of course, is dressing up, being with your peers, but how do you create an event that sort of can approximate the kind of experience that a kid would actually choose to have? So um, we, we provided games. We gave them tips on how to create their own Zoom parties, how they could engage with their friends and family. And again, we got a lot of kids who uh, interacted with this platform, a lot of parents and caregivers and teachers. So I think that we'll always keep now as we move forward some virtualness to our trick-or-treat. But we'll always have front and center sort of be that physical experience. Yeah, it kind of it, it it really makes you realize how important the physical nature of those things are when when everything is digital, right? You need that. I, you know, I think Halloween was kind of the first thing I think you know this year that was like you know after so long of of kind of being in. Um, being in shelter in place or, or, or kind of working through a lot of the, uh, you know, different kind of difficulties of, of this crazy year where it was like, yeah, like, surely Halloween can't be canceled, right? Like this is something that, but then you look at just how to do it safely and trying to figure out all that stuff. And obviously you get a lot of innovation there, but it was cool to see, you know, you all try to try to say like, what is, what is the essence of this and how can we still make a difference? Because it is one of, you know, kids' favorite days of the year, and uh, and we have to make sure that that you know those sort of things get protected. I mean, one of the byproducts of being forced into a virtual trick or treat experience is we were able to actually personalize it for some of our our corporate partners, so they could brand it. You know, they could put their names on it. They could raise money for the thing that they were most passionate about. I mean, it really gave us a chance to extend beyond just the youth audience into a bit of an older audience, some of our major donors, corporate partners, global cause partners. So it did also give us an opportunity to get a, a glimpse into what this could be if it was expanded beyond just schools. Well, and it also kind of makes you realize like how much of that stuff was happening um, either intentionally or unintentionally in the past, right? Like, I think that's one of the things that as we transition, you know, physical events into digital events, then we realize like, what are the elements that make a in physical event special versus what makes a virtual event special, you know, being able to reach tons of people at once 
you know, around the world potentially or around the country is something that you can't do in a, in a physical event. And like, you know, having sponsors be involved or having, you know, new ways to get, to get them involved is, is always a, a fun way to, uh, to just get people more, more amped up and more, more excited to, to take action. Yeah, that, that's very true. It's particularly true uh, of UNICEF. Probably one of the things that we do best is bring the folks that support us into the field. I mean, they go to the most, you know, remote and sometimes dangerous locations in the world. And to be able to visit places now like South Sudan or Afghanistan, even before the pandemic was always a little iffy, but now they can go anywhere. And we are creating these very customized virtual events where people can see in real time what's happening in some of the country offices in which we do the most work. And even our galas, right, have been most uh, nonprofits have transformed them into a virtual event. But where we see an opportunity as we move forward and we move out of the, the terrible pandemic that we're all experiencing is providing a physical component to a virtual event. Receiving something in the mail, for example, that you open at the moment where the virtual event begins. And so there's, you know, there's a bit of intrigue. You still get some of the fun stuff that's delivered to your house. It's an experience that's very elite, if you will. And I hate to use that word, but you know, when people attend a gala, they want to be treated in a particular way. Uh, and it allows you to do that. So these, I mean, I can't imagine in the world of technology what's going to be next in sort of this hybrid physical virtual space. Well, I think, you know, a lot of times in the past, we had the big event with the slideshow, right? Of like, hey, this is the impact that we created. These are photos or maybe some videos of like what we did or what we saw or what's happening out there. It's a very different thing to take someone there. It's a very different thing to say, you know, hey, we can take X amount of people to, to these places. So you really understand what's happening on the ground. And then it's, an, it's something else entirely to say like, oh, no, we can take you there right now. Like, it's very, it, you know, it's, it's very uh, sobering to, to see the reality of what's going on in a lot of places throughout the world and like realizing that, you know, you or your organization has a power to make a difference. I think that that's the sort of stuff that I think for a lot of people, they didn't necessarily, you know, the just going once a year to, to the kind of event and seeing the slideshow versus kind of having it be a little bit more, you know, front and center to understand the need of, of what's going on. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. And we've, I think, made it um, even more immersive in the sense that we accompany someone who is taking us into this country who can answer questions in real time. So you have a sense that it's not, you know, as you said, a slideshow, right? It's a, it's a dialogue. I can interact with the person who's actually running that program. That person can bring the camera and show me kids who are washing their hands with soap and water, which sounds like a small thing, but it's a massive life changer. And in some cultures, it's not something people, you know, traditionally do, where we may wash our hands before we have a meal. That's not even a possibility. But now people are, you know, through education and communication, which is a large part of what UNICEF does, and as a trusted source of information, knowing the importance of soap and water and how it saves lives, then going into a country where you see a little girl who takes you into where she lives with her family and explains how she, the voice of a child, love it, makes sure that her mother and her father and her little brother always wash their hands, always stay, keep their distance, wear their masks, and it just fills you with such optimism. Yeah, it's incredible. And, and some of the... Um... Some of the regions that you see some of, uh, you know, that, that you all are, are in, I mean, you're in tons of different countries. How do you kind of, you know, continue connecting people in the U.S. to those other places? Because it seems like that disconnect uh, and that, that awareness, like giving people a place that they can, you know, they can either share content or donate or do different things. Like, how do you kind of make those two things connect through your, through your digital campaigns? Yeah, so, um, well, that is critical. Uh, I will say one thing that um, has been sort of different for us is we are very much as a country, very focused on what's happening domestically. Of course, you can imagine that, that to be true. And we have not had a domestic presence um, in, in the U.S. 
and we are working on actually doing that right now today. But we do actually have a role to play in the dissemination of reliable and trustworthy information on things that parents, caregivers, and teachers really care about. And so we are providing information both on our on our website and through our social channels and with publishers who um, engage with these audiences. We use, I would say, for the most part, all of the channels that we use are in fact digital, you know, from email to digital display to search to online targeted video content, direct marketing, paid social, even our direct marketing, there's a digital component to it, you know, paid social, YouTube, podcasts that we're doing now. So it is very much a digital journey. And the idea is to use both our earned and our paid media to provide meaningful engagement informed by the work that we do around the world. So if you think about education as an example, uh, helping parents with resources and kid-friendly content, I mean, that's what they need actually here in the U.S. So it's actually been really helpful to start talking about things that really matter here. And when people engage with us here, what they do when we ask for a donation for a kid who's experiencing this in Syria is they feel empathy to that because they're going through it themselves. And they also feel that the work that we're doing has great impact and efficacy. And so it has actually accelerated and amplified some of the response that we get um, from our supporters. The same holds true with like psychosocial support. I mean, look what's happening to all of us, but particularly children and the impact of, of this world and what's happening to them on psychosocial issues. Again, we have a great deal of expertise so we can help provide guidance and resources to help parents know how to speak to their children and caregivers and teachers. And of course, as I said before, being a trusted voice and source of information in a world of misinformation, or certainly in a world that is very skeptical of the information they get, that's a real place and a real meaningful role you know, that, we can, that we can play. And so from a marketing perspective, the technology that we use is, and we talked about audience, is in service of an audience who has shown a preference for this information and whom we can then provide the kind of content that's personally interesting and relevant to them. You talk technology. What, what sort of things are you looking at from a technology perspective to increase these, the impact within these audiences and your campaigns? Okay, so we, um, we are in the process of integrating Salesforce Marketing Cloud. Um, we've been using Google 360 for the last couple of years. So I would say actually one of our competitive advantages is that we have probably, at least within our peer group, I would say this with no humility, so I could be wrong about this, but I think we are really completely at the, at the forefront in using all of the tools available to us so that we can be smarter about our audience and what they need and what they care about and how to engage with them. We're using AI. We use a platform called Fundraise Up that understands your donor behavior so that we can actually serve up an ask that we know is sort of in your wheelhouse. And I think uh, another thing that we've done really well is understand the interconnections between all of the channels because each channel individually has its strengths and weaknesses, but the magic happens when you understand sort of that sort of that journey, that intersection between the person who gets, who sees something, right, that, that's being covered in broadcast media, which is really tough to get these days totally. because, as you know, there's 24-7 coverage of the same two topics, and anything that doesn't have a connection to one of those two topics doesn't get a lot of airtime. But in, in, a, in a typical world, if there is such a thing, we would be using our earned media. I would say, and often that is the lead content, right? We talk about something that's happening in Syria or in Afghanistan or in Malawi or in, you know, fill in the blank. And we then know what people's response to that is. You know, we, can, we watch their search behavior. We do a lot with paid search. We know how to follow up with them. We know what they're interested in. when they arrive at our website. They're served up the content that they've showed interest in. 
And after they've consumed the content, we respectfully retarget them. But we, we've understood now that there's a reality that people don't convert on the same timelines as they had in the past. When we run our brand campaign, we are doing things that are not just sort of focused around fundraising, but around, in many ways, just appreciating all the support that we have gotten from our supporters this year. A really, really, you know, a really tough year for them. So I feel like, you know, that we're really starting with an audience first point of view, understanding how our content connects, understanding the cultural context in which we operate, and importantly, always testing and learning, right? If something's working, we lean into it. If it's not, we watch it and try to understand why it isn't. Um, Using real-time marketing, data, analytics, we measure sentiment. And again, we're looking across all of the um, consumer journey across the integrated experience. Yeah. So I'm curious, you mentioned how kind of your brand plays into this like kind of holistic journey. It's not just like a traditional funnel um, that it's just, you know, awareness, you know, interest, desire, action anymore, that it's constant, it's, it's ongoing. It's kind of that 360 thing. And that's cool to see that you're using, uh, you know, Salesforce marketing. Shout out to them, sponsor of the show. Oh, there you go. Yeah, they've been great. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's not, it's not for the faint at heart. I will say, you tell the organization, oh, we're going to have all this great MarTech and that no one really understands sure. that there's going to be a massive shift in how we have to behave at, you know, as an organization when we start thinking more fully about the supporter uh, experience. Oh, I just want to add to that. We're also doing more around e-commerce which I think is interesting because we have a whole channel around inspired gifts and UNICEF market. And there's a, you know, behavioral acceleration of online buying and we're taking advantage of it. Again, meeting people where they are. Well, yeah. And it just seems like that you have a much more holistic approach than kind of like the traditional kind of brand play, uh, you know, kind of, I don't want to say old school marketing, but but the you know less less digital stuff. How do you how do you look at brand marketing with regards to digital? Well, it's I would say that digital is the is the distribution mechanism, right? Digital is the insight. It's not even the insights. It's the data and analytics piece. The key channels and the way we look at them is storytelling, right? So you know that you have a story to tell, and our broader stories. By the way, the storytelling, I mean, everyone says this. In our case, it really is true. We need to tell a compelling story and we need to tell it at the right time in the right place to build that emotional connection. So we build our brand campaign around our workers, around their determination, around their resilience. And when people engage with that content, we are very mindful that we, some of these people are engaging with us for the first time. And so we, we carefully steward them through their journey to ensure that what we're giving them and what we're deploying delivers a personalized experience you know, for that, for that individual, using the data to identify their interests and their preferences. Because our brand campaign is, is broad. You know, we'll speak about education. We'll speak about health, particularly at this moment in time, vaccines. We'll talk about nutrition, and people care very deeply about malnutrition. We'll talk about education, and people engage in the topics in which they have passion and they're interested in, and then we can sort of retarget them through display, through email. We can capture them through, through search. We can drive them to our web and our campaign pages so they can get more information on the things uh, that they're interested in. So I think we've done a really good job by focusing on delivering a superior supporter-centric journey and framework and put again putting customer at the center and you talked about you know more tech that is sort of the pitch from Salesforce and we're in early days but back to brand we use digital in our broad-based media as well so digital television right OTT that is a, a big part of our television plan or connected television online video as I said before, working in partnership with 
with publishers because we understand these partnerships, let's say with the New York Times or Vice Media, those are things that we know that our, our supporters, those are information sources. So, you know, we are appearing where we know their passions are, and that's all informed by what we know about them through all of our, our MarTech efforts. Well, you know, I, I wanted to ask you about just like the number of like the sheer volume of, you know, problems that you all are tackling and how you think about segmenting and personalization, because, you know, between, um, you know, child mortality or child migration or, or nutrition, you know, education, child protection, like gender equality. I mean, there's just so many different things within all of that. Uh, and for our listeners, you can go to data.unicef.org and, and see they just have tons and tons of information about this. But it just seems like it's it's so much stuff. It's so much, you know, very rich information to get out, not only just like to to share with people who who want to take action, but just to the people themselves. How do you look at kind of dealing with that that sprawl of of information that you want to get out there? Yeah. And in addition to what the mass market looks at, we're also very mindful of the things that we are charged with advocating for. Because part of our our remit is to ensure that if there are bills in Congress that need a push and that we can help, like ending child marriage is a great example, right? We do things through the lens. That may not be the most resonant fundraising moment, but we absolutely, by rallying the American public to take an action, has going to have a massive impact on changing policies that will protect children. You know, so we put that programmatic lens, that humanitarian child rights lens on on what we do. And if we see that people are responding to it, we lean into it. If we see that, you know what, for whatever reason, this isn't resonating, then we move on to something else that is. So, um, and, and again, things elicit different responses for different reasons. So ending child marriage is an advocacy ask. Vaccines is really about addressing misinformation. And it's content that people are engaging with at a very high rate, but it's not necessarily what people are donating to it. And I think what's great about what we're doing is it is an enormous part of what we do, providing vaccines to almost half of the world's population and knowing that we are going to be in charge of distributing the vaccine when it is available outside the US. We're going to be doing the international distribution of the vaccine. So telling people about our expertise now, making UNICEF sort of the trusted voice around acceptance of vaccinations is part of what we're doing. And you see that engagement. But if you want to see where people are really donating their money, We can see that when we put out our stories about malnutrition, I mean, that one just hits you in the gut, right? And there is so much that UNICEF is doing. And so that one might have more traction versus one around um, vaccines, but it's not to say it's any more or less important. It just plays a different role in our strategic plan. I would add one other thing too, is understanding the cultural moment So obviously, vaccines, right? It's in the moment. Education, it's in the moment. And we have a really important role to play in both those areas. And so we're we're playing our part. We're doing the right thing. That's the brand bit. But we're also understanding the engagement and driving people who have shown preference or have taken an action to a set of messaging that is consistent with their interests. And I think that shows respect. That shows my supporter that I care about what you care about. I don't just need you to care about what I care about. You know, I don't want to denigrate what's happening with, you know, what happened with all of the emailing and digital fundraising during the um, election. But sometimes I felt as a diehard supporter of a party, I'm not going to say which one, but you know, you got overwhelmed by what felt like a fairly disintegrated group of emails that came at you fast and furiously. Oh my, and the text messaging and the and the calling and the, oh yeah. I mean, it was relentless, right? And also like in, yeah, in places that are like, I don't live in this 
city or state and I never have. <laughs> well, what <laughs> list am I on? Or if one more text comes in saying, hey, John, we haven't heard from you lately. It's like, OK, oh, they haven't heard from Nathaniel in forever. I'm like, I'm not Nathaniel. <laughs> exactly. So I, I do think that while, again, they've had tremendous results and I am not. I mean, hats off. Amazing amount of money raised through five and ten dollar donations but i think we are trying to have more of a relationship with our donor you know the election is a point in time and we're in it for the long haul you know we want our brand to drive you know brand love as well as brand revenue yeah i mean but that that is i think a key differentiator for you know an organization like unicef that has been around for uh for a long time and will be around for a long time, um, that you have kind of long-term thinking. And I think that that's kind of like one of the things that, you know, we interview a lot of people that are, you know, B2B here on the show that, you know, the average life of the B2B CMO is, is, you know, 18 to 24 months and you're worried about, you know, next quarter. Right. But for you, it's like, you know, I'm sure you would love it if, you know, Hillary, and Aaron and I all donated today, but what you really want is for us to be involved for life, right? And it's just a different message. It's a different way of engaging uh, if you take a long-term approach. You know what? I have to record you because that's exactly right. I mean, you just think over the next five years, just catching up on some of the setbacks that are going to occur for children all around the world, around nutrition, around education, the need for a true advocate for someone who is emotionally invested in the UNICEF mission has never been greater. And so what we don't want to do is we don't want to show disregard or disrespect by making you feel like a bank. Yeah, totally. And one, well, and, and there's a lot of people who, who can't, you know, participate in that way. But I think, you know, as we look at, you want to talk about earned media. Well, it's like, you know, people sharing with their networks or their communities or their companies, you know, one person can now share a message with, you know, on a Slack channel with 100 people or, you know, in a group text message thread with, you know, with 20 people or, you know, share on their, on Facebook or LinkedIn. Like, that's the other thing about this is like, people aren't just, you know, a dollar bill donation anymore, that there's ways to scale communication. And you kind of have to view them as, as that as well, that there's ways to earn, earn a share of uh, conversation. Right. I mean, it's, it's something we sort of kept in mind as we thought about this year's end of year campaign, you know, that people have been through so much and putting sort of that front and center into how we speak to people. Our new strategy was really about um, not only our unwavering persistence and our badass do-gooderness on the ground, but it was also about being optimistic, having faith that together we can make a difference, that every small step we each individually take has a massive impact if we just all do it together, because people are so desperately looking for, for hope and for optimism. And that's another place where data comes in, but we actually beyond the marketing data, our data team is putting together impact data on how have our policies impacted the change of mind in Washington? How does the money impact children in the countries in which we are funding these huge programs? I mean, people want to know that their money is having impact, that their actions are meaningful, that there is, it's a small step in making you know, massive changes in the world for the better. And so I do believe that um, what you said is got to be front and center. Understand, right, that if you're thinking about where your audience's head is and you're talking to them without thinking about that, you know, then you are so tone deaf. And I don't care whether you're selling a pair of sneakers or, or you're trying to create a relationship with a brand like UNICEF. I mean, it all pretty much starts with the same thing. Do you have a favorite campaign? Over the past couple of years? The one that we created um, last year, which was our first step to actually highlight the work we do called We Won't Stop, I think did a masterful job in taking a first and very important step in showing the work of the, as we call them, badass do-gooders in the countries 
where we are having the greatest impact and the joy that these workers bring to the lives of children. It, it just was so moving. And when we showed it to people, they said, I had no idea that UNICEF did this. I, had, I mean, the ability to rapidly respond to these massive emergencies and get to places in ways that you feel like you're in an adventure movie, like Raiders of the Lost Ark, to see these guys forging rivers, flying helicopters into northern Nigeria to help mothers safely give birth to children. I mean, that's what, that's what UNICEF does. It's like incredible. And so I am so proud to be able to have at least spearheaded the first campaign to do that. And it was really part of a global campaign. UNICEF USA is obviously there supporting UNICEF's mission. And we actually created this film together. And I believe it might even have been the first time that we put something out there that talked about our brand at a global level. Because each national committee, each country is different. They all do slightly their own things. But we're slowly coming together as an organization, understanding that the needs and the desires of our constituents are really not that different. Yeah. It always struck me when you have an organization that has kind of like those superhero frontline uh, individuals that, you know, if you donate 10 bucks and, you know, three bucks of it, uh, 30% of it go toward people's salaries. Well, what are those people doing? Right. And I think so many people just kind of fail to like tell the stories of, of what those people are doing. Uh, and that is, you know, it's a huge, I, I think a lot of people focus on like the impact of, you know, what they're doing, but sometimes like how they're doing it is like, hey, this is hard. <laughs> this is not easy stuff. And, yeah, and that's why yeah. it requires, you know, difficult work. Yeah. And I think what you just said, you know, the percentage of money spent on, on staff versus the programs themselves. I mean, these programs, people have to get paid, right? And they're paying to do unbelievable work and they're getting paid probably less than half of what they got paid if they worked for a big corporation, right? But you do want to pay people because they are completely devoted to this mission. They, in some cases, they put their life on the line. And I just think it's a metric that needs to change. It's not about how much, you know, three cents out of, you know, the dollar and 97 cents goes into a program. Well, that's good if I have a dollar, but what if through this massive effort, instead of having three cents on every dollar, I'm raising a million dollars, $2 million, a billion dollars. Let's put a billion dollars out there. Well, to raise a billion dollars, think about billion dollar companies and how many people work at them. And every dollar that is raised goes to first cover some costs, but, you know, 95% of them, 90% of them, when you ask about, you know, um, having MarTech, I mean, Salesforce Marketing Cloud, none of these things are free. And yet the investment in these technology uh, systems is going to yield massive returns on that investment. So we have to look at it more as the return on the investment, not how much, what the percentage in one versus the other. If for every dollar I raise, I'm generating $3 for a program, that's pretty darn good. Yeah. It, it also goes, it goes into this kind of like new age accounting, um, you know, the, the new age uh, P&Ls, right? Where it's like for so long, technology was a cost center or, or just like investments in technology. And then now we saw with, with COVID happening overnight, it's like, oh, it turns out that like all the people who didn't invest in technology to make their organizations run better were kind of just, they were actually way less productive. They just didn't know it because the people who had already set up their organizations to like, you know, behave in a distributed manner were like, yeah, it was kind of no change for us from a work perspective, totally different change for us from a life perspective. But, you know, the way that we, we operate you know, productivity was not really lost. Like it's the same way with whether it's MarTech or, or any type of technology. Like if you just have no idea why people are giving, where they're going, what they're doing, what type of stuff that they like, how in the world do you think that you could, you could make an educated guess on how to market to them? Exactly. Exactly. You could stand up in front of our board and give that exact speech. Hey, I'm, I'm available. Let me know. <laughs> You're available. They understood. I mean, we have about five or six fairly, I mean, very sophisticated marketers. And they've seen, you know, what having the appropriate technology and data can do for their business. Would they ever, as corporate leaders, 
run companies that didn't have the absolute best in class ability to identify and engage with their customers? Never. So why would you expect it of your nonprofit organizations? We have a job to do. We are a business. Our business is the business of saving lives, but it's a business. It's a darn important business. And we need to make sure that we are spending money wisely by spending it on things people care about and directing it to people who care about our mission and people who are actively interested in not only donating money, but participating. And how do you do that? I mean, we live in a world now where back in the day, you could do it maybe without all this technology, but it's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. And it doesn't allow you to steward the money that you raise in the appropriate way. You need to have this in place. It is hugely important. And big donors expect you to know where their money is going when it gets into into a program context or an advocacy context. They want to know the impact of of their spend. And this gives you a really rich set of data in which you can look at the information. And then the key thing is Use it appropriately. Analyze it. Get insights. We've just been through a, you know, another political cycle of polling and information gathering, and the information is only as good as the people who know how to use it to to take action and to create insight and to derive knowledge. Shelley, this has been awesome. Before we get into our lightning round, I do want to uh, I do want to say we have the holidays coming up here. Um, how can people engage with uh, with UNICEF? Oh, thank you for that shout out. Um, well, they can go to unicefusa.org. We've got big donation uh, buttons up there. Or they could just respond to any number of um, either emails, display ads, videos, anything that, oh, we also have a big change maker event that's happening um, in December. So be on the lookout for our messaging. It is um, hopefully going to be out there and you're going to see it and you're going to respond to it and you're going to want to join us and become part of our valiant mission. Yeah, it's it's important work. And, and one of the reasons, obviously, we were excited to have you on the show and, and for everyone. Uh, yeah, go check it out. UNICEFUSA.org. And uh, it's just amazing, amazing work um, at the front lines. And you can just look at all of the different uh, really, really important things that they're working on. Uh, check it out, and I promise uh, you'll be a you'll donate by the end of the uh, by the end of the year. I'm sure. And understanding that come oh, maybe it'll be January when the vaccine is ready to go, we're going to be there. I think we're we are stockpiling like literally a billion syringes and getting um, cold chain storage ready to transport the vaccines. I mean, things are underway massively to get ready. So when this is ready, we're ready to go. Warp speed. Incredible. Let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. You know that. You have been talking about them today already. We love Salesforce. They were with us since the very first episode of Marketing Trends. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. Lightning round questions. Shelly, are you ready? Uh-oh. Okay. I hope I can answer them. Prior to this year, what is your favorite or even this year what is your favorite treat when you go trick-or-treating oh you know that is a tough one i would have to say m&ms they come in the little packages i can share them um, and i don't feel so guilty eating massive numbers of those little packets if you weren't a cmo if you weren't in marketing at all what do you think you'd be doing I would love, <laughs> I like to be a teacher. I think that it is, it would be so much fun to actually stand in front of a group of individuals that would have to listen to me, who I could give homework to. <laughs> and then I get to market. <laughs> I was just going to say, it sounds like you're already, already doing that. What would be your best advice for a first time CMO? Well, don't believe all the press that CMOs only last two years. I think people are reluctant, but the fact is just get the culture of the company you're joining right? Don't start your career by swimming upstream. Like, you know, get in there with those folks, understand where their heads are at and build it together. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? Um, Do you like to cook? (laughs) Do you? No, (laughs) I firmly believe in ordering in everything. As a mother of three, 
that's what kept my family going. I love it. Shelly, thanks so much for joining. Any uh, any final thoughts, anything to plug? Obviously, everyone check out UNICEF. This has been an absolute pleasure. You really made me think a lot. <laughs> um, and so I got a lot out of it as well. And thank you. You made me think a lot, which <laughs> is uh, which is which is great for me. Thanks again. Take care. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.